Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. Today is Tuesday, February 21st. Coming up, enrollment in government-funded Medicaid insurance has hit a record high in Missouri. That's in part because states weren't allowed to kick people off during the coronavirus pandemic. That all changes soon. Missouri does not have the best track record in this area, um, which is why a lot of us are watching really carefully what the state is doing. So what happens to the hundreds of thousands of Medicaid enrollees in Missouri this spring? We'll find out. Plus, every day, unstaffed weather stations in fields throughout Kansas and Missouri are collecting weather data. But the networks that run those stations are financially struggling. We're kind of run on a skeleton shop right now, just scraping by, I would call it. The cost of weather monitors and what's lost when they disappear. That's coming up. But first, the latest headlines from around the Kansas City metro. Kansas City officials will consider this week whether to formally oppose the development of a landfill in the southeast corner of the city. KCUR's Chris Fortune reports. For weeks, the city has denied it had any knowledge of a landfill proposed for Route 150 and Horridge Road. While the city maintains no application has been submitted, a resolution would formalize the city's opposition to such a development, citing long-term impacts on surrounding cities. If passed, the resolution would also direct the city manager to evaluate the city's trash needs and identify solutions that don't include a landfill. Raymore, Grandview, Lee Summit, and Cass County have opposed the landfill. Jackson County is also discussing similar legislation. The drugstore chain Walgreens says it does not have plans to sell abortion pills at its Kansas locations or to mail them to Kansas customers. Celia Yopis-Jepson of the Kansas News Service reports. Kansas Attorney General Chris Kobach, a Republican, wrote to Walgreens this month to argue that mailing abortion pills to women in Kansas would break state and federal law. Walgreens is applying for federal certification to sell the abortion-inducing drug Mifepristone to people with prescriptions. But the company told Kobach it does not have plans to sell the pills to Kansas customers and would inform him if that changes. Here's an update to a story we brought you on the podcast last week. Hyundai and Kia drivers may now be eligible for free software upgrades after a rise in thefts of the popular cars. KCUR's Savannah Holly Bates has more. Many models made by the two companies between 2015 and 2019 do not have electronic immobilizers, which prevent break-ins and bypassing of the ignition. The updates will extend the alarm sound on the vehicle and require the key to be in the ignition to turn the vehicle on. Owners of these models can take their cars to any Hyundai or Kia dealership for the free upgrade, which dealers say should take about an hour. And the top Republican in the Kansas Senate wants to limit which foods are exempt from sales tax. The bill would amend the sales tax exemption on groceries to only apply to some foods that are considered healthy. That includes things like produce, dairy products, and meat. The bill would also exempt those foods from both state and local sales taxes, Kansas is currently on track to phase out only the state's sales tax, but on most groceries. The tax dropped from 6.5% to 4% on January 1st and is scheduled to be fully eliminated in 2025. Senate President Ty Masterson says his plan is better because it includes eliminating local sales taxes, too. And some jurisdictions will pay 3.5%, 4%. Yes, it narrows the items, but takes it to true zero. Several retailers oppose the change because it would make tax rates on food much more complex. 
and they oppose raising the sales tax on some food back to 6.5%. We'll be right back. You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously. But you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host, Ari Shapiro, is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive. A record 1.4 million people are enrolled in Missouri's Medicaid program. That's the government-funded health insurance for disabled and low-income people and families. The reason for the high numbers? The state was barred from kicking anyone out of the program during the coronavirus pandemic. But that provision ends this spring, and as St. Louis Public Radio's Sarah Fenton reports, some are worried that as the state starts to review patients, people who need coverage will lose their insurance. Naya Sumter calls herself a sickle cell warrior. People with the disease, which affects red blood cells, need to see doctors all the time. Before she enrolled in health insurance, her treatment racked up sky-high hospital bills. With sickle cell disease, that meant I was now responsible for um, affording to be able to get like transfusions and all of the other type of medicines that it takes to care. And so now I'm stuck on the hook for that, and my credit is literally like shot. Sickle cell can be tough on a patient's body, and it's a lot of work juggling doctors, insurance, and paperwork. That's especially true for people on Medicaid, like Sumter, who lives in St. Louis County. Sumter enrolled in Missouri's Medicaid program last year when the state expanded coverage to low-income adults. For someone like her, with costly medical bills, Medicaid can be a lifesaver. But in March, the state will begin reviewing Medicaid data, and in May, some recipients will once again need to submit renewal forms each year to keep their coverage. Regional Health Commission CEO Angela Fleming-Brown is worried people will fall off the rolls even if they're still eligible. Because many of uh, people that we find in the safety net population, uh, they tend to um, change addresses and phone numbers frequently. She says many people in the past have lost coverage during annual re-enrollment. Mail usually gets lost or they do not receive the redetermination forms uh, in order to respond. As a result, many don't receive mailed notices that their coverage is expiring. Some don't know they may need to submit information to the state to keep it. That includes Naya Sumter. I didn't realize I have to re-enroll every year if that's a thing. Is that a thing? She says she hasn't yet gotten any mail from the state about the need to renew coverage after the pandemic provisions end. I may get a few text messages, but it wasn't initially communicated that I needed to reapply every year. I thought once I applied, I was going to be okay. So I kind of disregarded the text messages about re-enrolling. Missouri's history of managing Medicaid patients worries Sheldon Weisgrau, vice president of health policy at the Missouri Foundation for Health. This year, many Missourians are on Medicaid for the first time because of the state's expansion. He says they aren't used to the annual renewal process. 
Missouri does not have a, the best track record in this area, um, which is why a lot of us are watching really carefully what the state is doing. In 2018 and 2019, more than 100,000 Medicaid recipients, many of them children, dropped off Missouri's program when state officials reviewed the Medicaid rules. And last year, the federal government needed to help the state make an improvement plan when it struggled to process applications for people who became eligible due to the state's expansion. Weisgrau says the program's expansion to more low-income adults means state officials are now faced with an unprecedented task. They've never had to do it at a point where the Medicaid program has this many people enrolled in it. I mean, we are far above the highest number of Medicaid beneficiaries than we've ever been in Missouri. However, the state has known this was coming for a long time. Kim Evans, the director of Missouri's Family Support Division, says the department's made changes since 2019. We don't want folks to panic. We're here to help. The agency has automated some of its systems to determine eligibility. For example, it can now use SNAP data and other information already on file to see someone's income and determine if a person still qualifies. Missouri has really uh, expanded the resources that we have, the external resources to verify information. This is the first time we'll be able to automate that. Evan says the best way to keep coverage is for patients to update their contact information at mydss.mo.gov renew and to pay attention to texts and mail from social services, even if it looks like spam. Missouri officials have said their certain Medicaid enrollment will drop during 2023, but less certain is how many of those people will still be eligible. I'm Sarah Fenton, St. Louis Public Radio. Across the Midwest and Great Plains, mesonets, a funny word for a statewide weather monitor, record data for farmers, researchers, emergency responders. The information is the backbone of everything from storm warnings to climate science to crop insurance. But as Harvest Public Media's Elizabeth Rembert reports, financing for many state mesonets is on shaky ground. When you check a weather forecast, do you ever think about where that information comes from? If you're in southeast Nebraska, you can find one source off a gravel road. We're just in a little pasture field, just north of Valparaiso by our weather station. Regan Kirkman is braving a cold, windy day to check on the site. He opens a green gate to approach what looks like a tall metal tripod. We have two sensors to collect rain, and one of them uh, measures snowfall. Um, we have wind speed and direction, uh, measures the sun. We have temperature and humidity and pressure. And we have some ground sensors. It does a lot, and it's only one of dozens spread across the state for the Nebraska mesonet. The mesonet stations record data every minute of every day. I think there's 1,440 minutes in a day, so we've got that many observations. That's Martha Durr, Nebraska's climatologist. She says all that data goes off to farmers and ranchers to help them decide when to plant or where to graze cattle. Researchers use it to track drought or study patterns in climate change. It also goes to emergency managers, crop insurance adjusters, the National Weather Service. The list goes on. But in Nebraska, it's all happening on much less funding than is needed. 
we're kind of run on a skeleton shop right now, just scraping by, I would call it. The state government and public university has steadily cut funding over time. It came to a head last year when Durr was forced to close down some stations, even as the state battles deep drought. And Nebraska's not alone. Missouri also faces funding challenges, while Kansas grapples with inconsistent grant money for any extra staff. And in Illinois, manager Jenny Atkins says hodgepodge funding has limited her program to just 19 stations, covering the entire state. The real issue for us is that we're not growing. These 19 stations are great, and they're doing everything they can, but they're only 19 stations. She says they've missed intense wind and rainstorms. The consequences of fewer stations are also coming to a head in Nebraska. Dennis Sheath manages a natural resource district in north-central Nebraska. His team uses mesonet data to conserve groundwater by setting irrigation limits. We use that as a tool to show that, you know, you may have over-irrigated or you may be under-irrigated or maybe you're just right. But now they're doing it with a lot less information. Sheath's district lost four of its five nearby stations. It leaves farmers relying on less accurate data. It's just kind of disappointing. Numerous state agencies, elected officials say that water is such an important deal, but then we end up that we don't want to fund it. But one state has put its money where its mouth is. Oklahoma's mezzanine reliably gets about half of its funding from the state government. Director Chris Fiebrick says the support means he doesn't have to agonize over things like making payroll. We can have our staff looking at new technologies. We can have them developing new models, developing new products. The bandwidth goes toward training emergency managers or predicting where wheat's at in its growing cycle. Those technologies are out of reach in Nebraska, says Martha Durr. Often I'll get emails from people saying, well, hey, Oklahoma has this. Why don't you all have this? So that, that would be great. That would be awesome. <laughs> and she has reason to hope. A new bill in front of Nebraska lawmakers proposes earmarking about a million state dollars for the mezzanine over the next two years. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Elizabeth Rembert. Harvest Public Media is a collaboration of public media newsrooms in the Midwest and Great Plains, including KCUR. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and Paris Norvell and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To get more stories from Harvest Public Media and more coverage from Kansas City's NPR station, visit kcur.org. Thanks for listening.